Let's pray together. He reigns. Lord, as we come to this Easter week, we pray that you would reign, that you would rule. We pray that through the power of the cross, you would change our families, our our hearts, our lives, that you would reign. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, friends, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew and chapter 21. We are beginning a special Easter series walking through Matthew's account of Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday. The theme for Easter this year is Alive, Alive. And we're going to see how Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday can change our lives. Well, this morning, of course, Palm Sunday, Matthew chapter 21, and beginning at verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you. And immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them. And he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Who is this? Who is this? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt that following Jesus sounds fine in theory, but in the real world, well, that's, that's different? The purity that is commanded in the Bible is admirable, 
in theory. But in practice, loyalty to one person for your whole life, well, that's just unrealistic. It's fine to tell someone never to lie, as the Bible does. But in practice, I mean, come on. Sometimes a white lie is is just necessary. It, It might even be kind. Oh, yes, well, it's very spiritual of you to suggest that we should lay up treasures in heaven. Come on, in, in practice, we all know that money matters. And if, well, as the Beatles sang all those years ago, money cannot buy you love, then as one more recent country music song has put it, Money can't buy you love, but it can buy me a boat. So, have you ever felt that following Jesus sounds fine in theory, but in the real world, it doesn't work in practice? On this Palm Sunday, I want to show you how the triumphal entry into Jerusalem teaches us that everyone can have their life changed in practice when you follow Jesus as your king. Now, of course, this is a well-known story, isn't it? Palm Sunday, as we've already had so beautifully presented to us by the children, the palm branches. We know the story. But we're conflicted about how to interpret it because we also know how the story ends just a few days later with his crucifixion. Here they are shouting Hosanna and then a little bit later they're shouting crucify him. What are we meant to learn from this story? What is the right interpretation of this story? The kingship of Jesus comes like this. When the kingship of Jesus is established in a person's heart, it comes like this. When the kingship of Jesus comes to Jerusalem, it comes like this, with Jesus humble, riding on a donkey to be crucified. And when the kingship of Jesus is finally and fully established at the end of all days, when Jesus returns, it will be like this, but majestically, massively more. And it works in practice. Here in the story, there are three, as it were, increasing concentric circles. There are the disciples that is the inner core of the church. And we see how the kingship of Jesus there comes. And then there's the crowds, the next layer out with outreach and witness and evangelism, the seekers, if you like. And then there is the city, the world of finance and business, the inner city the real world. 
Let's see how the kingship of Jesus comes in practice to the disciples, the crowds, and the city. First, the disciples. They are given a mission based on the Bible, and they act in obedience. Their mission was to go and find this donkey and its colt, untie them, and if anyone questions, to answer, the Lord needs them, and bring uh, the donkey and its colt back to Jesus. People have many textual questions about this particular passage of the Bible, and one of them is this. How on earth does Jesus arrange this when, according to Matthew's gospel, this is the first time he has been to Jerusalem? Well, the answer is almost certainly because, according to John's gospel, we know that he was in Jerusalem multiple times, and Jesus prearranged all this and indeed gave uh, these um, people a password, a passcode. The Lord needs them. So they recognized that moment that it was Jesus who had sent the disciples. It was, if you like, their mission. They were on mission. What about you? Are you on mission? Or are you just drifting through life? Are you on mission at home with your children, or are you just leaving it up to the church? Are you on mission at work with your colleagues, or are you just thinking, we'll get an evangelist to do that? We need to find someone of real evangelistic power to come to my workplace. Well, maybe it's you. A healthy church is not only a church of disciples of Jesus, but a church that has a mission to make more disciples of Jesus. They were on mission. And that mission was based on the Bible. The quotation in verse 5 that uh, gives authenticity and authority to what Jesus is doing is actually a quotation that is mainly from the prophet Zechariah, but is introduced by a phrase from the prophet Isaiah. And again, one of the textual questions that people have about this, this part of the Bible is why then is it introduced by saying the prophet said when there are two prophets here who have been quoted? Well, because one common way then of introducing a lesser-known prophet was by means of a more well-known prophet. It'd be like if you went to a conference and someone asked you who was speaking at that conference and you gave the name of the, the main speaker. So-and-so is speaking. But of course, there are other speakers there too. Similarly, by this means, Matthew is presenting that what is happening is indeed the fulfillment, not just of one part of the Bible, but the whole Bible, the witness of the prophet, of Scripture. What they were doing was based upon the Bible's teaching as a whole, that the Messiah would come humble, riding on a donkey. And what about you? Is your life based on the teaching of the Bible, or do you pick and choose the parts of the Bible that are acceptable to you, the ones that already fit within your personal philosophy of life? Self-esteem. I deserve to be happy. 
Everyone else can take care of themselves. A healthy disciple is not only a disciple making disciples, it's also a discipleship that is based on the Bible. So they have a mission, it's based on the Bible, and they act in obedience, verse 6. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. What a simple sentence and how rarely emulated. The disciples did not consider whether Jesus was right to treat the owners of these animals this way. They did not formulate a working group to weigh up the pros and cons in committee. They did not examine the textual pastiche of the quotation from Zechariah and Isaiah and and, and, and cite all the right journals. They went and did as directed. What about you? A healthy disciple is not only a disciple making disciples, not only a discipleship that is based upon the Bible, but a discipleship that practices obedience. Let me put it to you like this. If you are finding that your Christianity is not working in the practical realities of church life, the disciples, could it be because you are off mission, not based on the Bible, or not acting in obedience? One coach whose team won the uh, World Cup wrote a book about his management techniques that he believed gave the team that he was coaching such great success. And he has a list of seven or eight of those management techniques, and the top of them is this one. Total commitment, body and soul. Well, if that's what it takes to win a World Cup, how much more does it take that to have the practical realities of Christ's rule in your life as a disciple? Indeed, the Heidelberg Catechism says the very same thing. You're committed body and soul to Christ. And if that, if that isn't you, no wonder it's not working in practice. The disciples. Second, the crowd. Next, concentric circle out. The outreach, the seekers. The crowds proclaim Jesus as king as Savior and as prophet. There's Jesus. He's sitting on the colts with the mother donkey following along on the cloaks the disciples put on the colts. Another textual question that people have had about this passage of the Bible is, is Matthew actually misinterpreting the quotation of the Old Testament, misunderstanding what Zechariah was saying when he says, he sat on them, does he think that Zechariah was talking about Jesus sitting on two donkeys? And so you have this absurd picture of Matthew misunderstanding the Bible and presenting an absurd idea of Jesus sitting on them, the mother donkey and the colt. But no, the sat on them refers to the cloaks on the colt. He sat on the cloaks. 
And the crowd, verse 8, spread their cloaks on the road and cut other branches from the trees and spread them on the road. This is all way of them proclaiming him as king. In the Old Testament, when they proclaimed the man as king, they put their cloaks under him. You can read about it in 2 Kings chapter 9. Jehu was proclaimed as king by the messengers of Elisha. They, they spoke to him in secret and they anointed him. And then Jehu came out and he told the servants that he'd been anointed as king and immediately they spread their cloaks under him and with a trumpet blast proclaimed him as king. That's what they're doing. He's the king. Well, what about you? Are you proclaiming Jesus as king? It's not the same as proclaiming him as nice or well-meaning. Christianity will not work in practice if you do not accept Jesus' kingship over the practicalities. A Sunday-only faith is no good for Monday if Jesus is not king on Monday as well as Sunday. How could it work? They also proclaim him as Savior. They shout, Hosanna, meaning save. Originally, Hosanna was a cry for help. When a woman came to King David asking for his intervention in some problem in her life, she said, help me, O king, or literally, Hosanna, O king. Save me, help me. And then it became a word of praise, Savior. Well, do you accept Jesus as Savior as well as King? Jesus will not work in the practicalities of your soul if you are not humble enough to accept the King riding on a donkey to come and save you. Humble, riding on a donkey. Unimpressive. What a triumph that Jesus had. When the ancient kings had a triumph, they came with great fanfare with all the captives that they had won in their victories and they, they, they were surrounded by their adoring followers and they, 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 they marched in with a, with a chariot and four horses. And here's Jesus on a donkey. Why? He's come to save on a cross. Why, have you accepted him as Savior? You can make money, but you cannot have true wealth without being saved from greed. You can acquire knowledge, but you cannot have true wisdom without being saved from the idol of the mind. And they proclaim him as prophet. Verse 11. And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Well, Jesus is more than a prophet, but he is the prophet. They accept Jesus as not merely a dispenser of wise advice, but as the prophet of God's word. Undoubtedly, they do not fully understand what they said, but they did accept him as the prophet. He's more than a prophet, but he is the prophet. What about you? Do you take Jesus' teaching with a 
grain of salt? Do you dilute his word to make it taste like other religious teachers' words? Christianity will only work in the practicalities of daily life in its radical, undiluted form with Jesus as King, Savior, and Prophet. The disciples, the crowds, and then the city. He entered the city. The city was stirred up, and the city had one question. He entered the city of Jerusalem, verse 10. Jesus did not back off from the challenges of his day, but entered right into the middle of them, right into the heart of the city. And what about you? It's easy, isn't it, to take the safe option and not the city option. I like how G.K. Chesterton put it. Christianity has not been tried and found lacking. It has been tried and found difficult. But God's word is reliable even in the working world of the city. Jesus entered into the city and the city was stirred up. Well, of course, when the biblical Jesus is presented, it always causes a stir. When we present the biblical Jesus, we will make friends, but we will also make enemies. He will always cause a stir. Is your Christianity causing a stir at work, at home? Do people say, look at that man, he's so zealous for God. What is going on? He must have lost his mind. Look how he's living. Do people say, look at that woman, she's so on fire. What is up with her? She must have lost her marbles. What's going on? When the biblical Jesus comes to the city, he always creates a stir. Is he stirring up your life? He entered the city. The city was stirred up, and the city had one question, the great question. Who is this? And, of course, that's not merely a question about Jesus' name or his place of birth, but a question about Jesus' identity. Who is this who is doing all these things? Who is this that the disciples are without question obeying? Who is this who is causing such a stir? Who is this that the crowds are following? Who is this who's raised Lazarus from the, from the dead, as we read about in John's Gospel? Who is this? Could this be the king, the savior, the prophet? Is he more than merely a prophet? Who is this? Now, that's the question we ask when we begin our Christian journey, when we start to find out more about Jesus. To start with, we, we want to know the answer. Who is this Jesus? Who is this 
man of Nazareth? Is he more than a man? Who is this? But it's not only a question for the start of the Christian journey. Oh, no. The more we realize who he is, the more we will be adoringly, wonderingly, lovingly exclaiming, who is this? Is that what your life's like? Are you amazed at the glory and greatness of God to such an extent that when you find out more about Him, you realize that you've hardly begun to know about Him at all? I mean, He is infinite, you know. None of us have hardly even begun to know Him. Who is this? The King of glory. He entered into the city. The city was stirred up and they had one great question. And it works in the practicalities of real life. when the last great Welsh revival took place, swept through Wales and transformed towns and villages and thousands of people's lives. And the forefront of that revival in many places were the Welsh coal miners. There were many coal mines in in Wales in those days. And uh, the coal mines then were partly um, organized and run, and um, the mining was accomplished through the use of ponies. They were called pit ponies. Mechanization was not as advanced, of course, as it is today. And those miners, before they came to Christ, obviously hardworking, tough men at, at at the epicenter of one of the most difficult professions in the world. Those um, hard-working miners, to get the pit ponies to do what they were meant to do, would use colorful language, shall we say. And then they came to Christ. And not just their minds, not just their feelings, but their lives were changed. They stopped using colorful language. And it is said, reliably reported, that when the miners went back to those mines and tried to get the pit ponies to do what they were telling them to do, the pit ponies refused because they were so used to the colorful language that the miners were no longer using. They had to retrain them. It causes a stir. I got to know a very successful banker some years ago, not in this area, in another, in another country. 
He was one of those bankers who just had the gift for making money. You spend time with him, you like him, you know? And he was highly sought after and was doing extremely well in this massive financial institution for whom he worked. And, of course, he had clients that he would entertain. In fact, all his colleagues would entertain clients over the weekend. And then on Monday morning, they would bring back to the accounting department at this bank their uh, receipt for expenses for the weekend for entertainment. Well, some of his colleagues brought back receipts for tens of thousands of dollars for what they'd been entertaining these rich clients with. You know, the best theater, the best food, the, the, the expensive corporate gifts. And every Monday, my friend, would turn into the accounting department a receipt for $25. And after a while, they began to ask him, you know, what on earth was going on? Why was he doing this? Ah, he said, I take my clients home. They meet my wife and my children, and we sit down for a meal together, and we eat home-cooked spaghetti. And do you know, his clients were the most valuable for that bank. It's not about the money. Everyone can have their life changed in practice when you follow Jesus as your king. It works for the disciples at church. We Christians, we who say we follow Christ, need to repent of exalting charisma and gifting and personality at the expense of obedience, character. The kingship of Jesus in the church. works for the crowds, for outreach. What you win them with is what you win them to. He is prophet. He is savior. He is king. It works in the city as well, in the world of finance and business, the real world. So then, would you this morning on Sunday and also on Monday... Proclaim Jesus as your king. Let's pray together. King Jesus, we bow before you. And we repent. We are sorry for trying to keep your kingship to one small aspect of our lives. And then wondering why it doesn't seem to work in practice. 
No, Lord, you are our king today and every day. Would you in the quiet repent of not having Jesus as your king? Our Lord, we receive you as our King, King Jesus, Lord of all glory, save us, that we might this morning join in that festal procession of the crowds, joyfully singing, Hosanna, Savior, for you have saved us. at work in us and through us to the advance of your kingdom, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.